Thank you so much, Rabbi Goldberger, for that very warm and generous introduction. Bershus Harav Goldberger. And I want to assure you, friends, that of all the introductions I've ever received, this one has been the most recent. <laughs> I would also like to assure you that Rav Goldberger is certainly a great chacham, as our sages teach us, guzma. wise people exaggerate. So I appreciate the kind words. Good evening, everyone. It's truly an honor for me to be here tonight to speak on behalf of the Shidduch Center of Baltimore. And on a personal note, it is actually quite difficult for me to stand up before you tonight. This past Thursday was the Petira and the funeral of my beloved grandfather, Zikni Moiri, Rav Shivani Yeshua Hirschfang, Zechatzak Davracha, Mr. Stanley Hirschfang. And during the Levaya, after the Levaya, I was thinking, can I still go to Baltimore? But ultimately, I realized that my grandfather would have been very proud and pleased for me to speak at this occasion because Shaduchim was very dear to him. And he made every attempt that he had to try to match people together. He actually had an ayin toiva, and he would always think, you know, why can't these two people get married? He wouldn't see, even if maybe others wouldn't see them as compatible, but in his good-natured spirit, he always thought, why can't we pair these people together? So, I think it's bashered for me to be here tonight. May tonight's talk be l'iloi nishmasai. I want to thank my very generous hosts, the Walaski family, the Morheim family. I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to see your chesed and how you are really the pillars of chesed for this community and for all of Klal Yisrael. I want to thank uh, Mrs. Walaski, who uh, is the shadchan for me to be here this evening, although I'm not paying you any shadchanas fee. <laughs> Um, but we appreciate uh, you thinking of me, and I know this organization is so dear to the Wolowski, Mishpacha, and to Sarah, and may the Rebbe Hashem continue to give them gezint to be involved in all the Tzarchet Sibor that they are. Good, good. Thank you, Rabbi Goldberger, for giving me this opportunity to be here this evening. I'm so inspired that a, such a large community has this resource, a system of shadchanim, of networking, a database, and to hear that in the last couple of years, the Shidduch Center of Baltimore has successfully produced 111 or so shaduchim, Kain Yirbu, V'chein Yosef, Kahena V'chahena, V'siyata Deshmaya, V'ezos Hashem. We hope for even more numbers in the future, and many more Bate Neman Yisrael Hashem Ortefaras. The Panavitcharov, Rav Kahanaman, was a remarkable personality. He was an architect of Torah, he was a builder of Torah, and he saw the world different than almost anybody else. In August of 1942, the Nazis were primed to invade Palestine and to sweep through the country in a matter of days. And the Arabs were broadcasting on the radio, Hey Jews, we're going to slit your throats. We're going to slaughter your children. We're going to abuse your women. 
The Arabs were waving flags in their windows, inviting the Nazis to come. And what was Rav Kahaneman doing? He was laying the foundation of the Panovich Yeshiva, <laughs> August 1942. And they said, Rabbi, what you're doing is financial and institutional suicide. In a matter of days, the Nazis will destroy every Jewish institution in the land of Palestine. But the Panovich Yerav believed in the eternity of Torah, the eternity and the destiny of the Torah. He was a dreamer, he was a builder. Just to give you some anecdotes of how the Panovich Yerav saw the world. He came to America in 1947. And he would go into shuls and he would announce, by the way, you know, there are a group of Jews who they've been imprisoned. They're trying to create a state. They're trying to create a Jewish homeland. And they were in jail. But the Panovich Yerav said with great conviction and perhaps with prophecy that these Jews will undoubtedly succeed in building a Jewish state. But then he added, if I had a cadre of Jews who would try to build a Torah state in Palestine, that would undoubtedly occur. This is the way the Panovich saw things. He was a dreamer. He was a builder. Rabbi Berylwein relates that when he was rabbi in Miami Beach, so the Panovich used to come and fundraise in Miami Beach. He was the consummate fundraiser. You know, the line goes, how do you know there's no life on Mars? Because if there was, then the Panovich would have fundraised there. So the Panovich went everywhere to raise money for the yeshivas. He believed he had to build institutions on par with the great institutions of Lita, of Poland. And he came to Rabbi Wein and he says, Rabbi Wein, I would like you to gather a group of young couples and I would like to speak with them. And Rabbi Wein said, you know, Rabbi, I thought you're the expert on fundraising. Every fundraiser knows young couples don't give money. They don't have, they don't know how to give. They need to be, pri- they need to be groomed. And the Rav said to Rabbi Wein, just listen to me. Just follow my advice. So a week later, Rabbi Wein invited a group of 20 young couples to his home in Miami Beach. They weren't specifically religious and the Panovich Rav got up to speak. He spoke informally but powerfully. And this is the gist of what he said. He said, during the Holocaust, the Nazis killed 1.5 million Jewish children. The souls of these children are floating through the air. They need bodies to go into. You want to give me some bodies? And Rabbi Wein was <laughs> taken back by the message and the manner with which the Panovich delivered the message. But sure enough, says Rabbi Wein, a bumper crop of babies was born in his congregation that year. What a great man. He was a builder. He was a dreamer. He saw the Jewish world different than anybody else. He recognized that with 20 couples, you could build the Jewish people. Let's expand on this concept just a bit further. Let's assume a boy and a girl marry, and they have a relatively, we'll call it, small Jewish family of two children, a boy and a girl. And let's assume these two descendants also have small families, each one of them having two children. So in each subsequent generation, the population doubles. In mathematics, this is known as geometric progression. So the couple has two children, four grandchildren, eight 
great-grandchildren and 16 great-great-grandchildren. And you think, big deal. And after 10 generations, that original couple now has 1,024 descendants. And after 20 generations, there will be 1,048,576 descendants. And after only 24 generations, about 600 years, there will be 16,777,216 descendants, about the same number of the current Jewish population in the world. From one Shidduch. And in 25 generations, there will be double the number of descendants as there are Jews in the world today. Do we now understand the statement of the Zayar HaKadosh? That one who makes one zivug in Klal Yisrael, it's like they built the entirety of the whole world. That is what we came here tonight to support. I'd like to speak a little bit about a great personality. We started speaking about it during the dinner, but by now anyone who was there forgot about it. And we'd like to elaborate on this subject. I want to speak about Rabbeinu Gershaim. Rabbeinu Gershaim is given a very unique title. He's known as Rabbeinu Gershaim Me'or Hagoyla. He was born in the year 960 in Metz in France, and he passed away in 1040 in Mainz in Germany. He was the first Ashkenazic great rabbi. He is, so to speak, the foundation of Ashkenazic Jewry. In the times of Rabbeinu Gershaim, the epicenter of world Torah existed in Bavel, in Surah and Pompadisa. And because of the scholarship of Rabbeinu Gershaim, the centers of world Torah Jewry shifted from Babylon, where it had existed and thrived for more than a thousand years, and it moved to Germany, to Ashkenaz. Rabbeinu Gershaim wrote the authentic text of Talmud Bavli. When Rashi wrote his commentary on Shas, it was based on the text of Rabbeinu Gershaim. Rabbeinu Gershaim wrote the famous slicha that we say in the Ilah. Zachar bris Abraham ba'akedas Yitzchak, v'ashev shvosahle Yaakov, v'hoishyeinu l'man shmechelet Rabbeinu Gershaim. And Rabbeinu Gershaim was zoicha to a title that no rabbi ever merited. He's called... Rabbeinu Gershaim, Me'or Hagoyla, the light of the exile. Now, there are a lot of interesting titles that we give rabbis. Some great rabbis, they're given the title HaKadosh. So you have the Orachayim HaKadosh, you have Rashi HaKadosh, you have the Alshech HaKadosh, some say the Ari HaKadosh. Some rabbis are given the title the Rebbe Reb. So, for instance, Rabbi Yonison Eibeshitz, he's called the Rebbe Rabbi Yonison. Rav Shmelka of Nicholsburg, the Rebbe Rav Shmelka. And Rabbeinu Gershaim is given the title, Rabbeinu Gershaim Me'or Hagoyla. What's the meaning of this title? So simply put, he was literally the light of the exile. Until his time, Tyro was in Bavel, Tyro was in Babylon. And because of the scholarship of Rabbeinu Gershaim, the epicenter of Tyro shifted from Babylon to Europe. And because of him, it infused light into the Gaulas. But friends, there is a much deeper reason for this amazing title, Ma'ar Hagoyla. As is well known, Rabbi Gershon made many takanois, 
And many of these takanas were enforced by the personal excommunication of Rabbi Nogershon. Rabbi Nogershon made 90 takanas that are enforced by Cheram. By the way, one particular Cheram that Rabbi Nogershon made, which is not so well known, was because of a very tragic personal situation that Rabbi Nogershon faced. As mentioned, Rabbi Nogershon lived in the city of Mainz. And the bishop of Mainz converted to Judaism. And because he converted to Judaism, the monks of Mainz were so angry with the Jewish community that they made a decree that every Jew in Mainz has to convert to Catholicism, otherwise they would be burnt by the stake. And many Jews fled. And many Jews were Moisar Nefesh al Kiddush Hashem. And many Jews converted to Christianity, including Rabbeinu Gershaim's only son. Not only that, he converted to Catholicism and he died as a Catholic before he had the opportunity to do tshuva. And this was so painful to Rabbeinu Gershaim that you could look in the Mordechai and Masech the Moed Katan, Simen Tav Tav Pevav, it's also brought the Arzarua, that when the Rabbeinu Gershaim heard about what happened to his son, not only did he sit shiva, he sat shiva twice, says the Mordechai. He sat shiva once for his son's body and once for his son's soul. And the Maram Rothenberg writes, no, Rabbeinu Gershom did not have to do that. It was just an expression of his excessive grief over his son. So Rabbeinu Gershom made a takana, and he enforced this takana with the cheram, that if a Jew ever converts and leaves the fold, if they want to come back, they cannot be ridiculed. Now you should know, this was a matter of historic debate between the Rabbanim and the Hamoinam. Usually, if somebody converted to another religion, the multitude, the Hamoinam, the guy wanted to come back in shul, the people would not let him get an aliyah. The people would not let him get a shidduch. He was not accepted back into the fold. He was ridiculed because people felt betrayed. They felt that they... This individual was disloyal to them and everybody else had to suffer as a Jew and they would not accept them back. But Rabbeinu Gershon and usually the Rabbanim made decrees to allow the tshuva process of these people who unfortunately had to convert. That was one cherem de Rabbeinu Gershon. Here's another cherem de Rabbeinu Gershon. It's prohibited to read the mail, the messages of somebody else. You want to take somebody's phone and check out their texts, their WhatsApps, their email. There's a cherem, the Rabbeinu Gershom. You can't open the mail. You can't read the messages of somebody else. This was intended to protect the Jewish merchants who the, their business depended on the confidentiality of their business dealings. And every letter had a specific seal. And the seal was signed, Bez Ches Dalid Reish Gimel, stamped which stood for the Cherem Drabenu Gershon. You couldn't open up the mail of somebody else. Today, in America, it's a federal crime to read somebody else's mail. But it took the secular world hundreds and hundreds of years to come to recognize the importance of this Cherem Drabenu Gershon. But of all the Takanos and all the Cherem Drabenu Gershon, the two most well-known Takanos Drabenu Gershon, Eben Oezer, Simen Aleph, Sefiyud, Rabbeinu Gershom, Hechrim al Hanoise al Ishtoi, Rabbeinu Gershom decreed, you can't marry two wives. And then Rabbeinu Gershom made another takana. 
And Rabbi Yenu Gershon was Masakim Al Hamagarish Ishtoy Bal Karcha. You cannot divorce one's wife against her will. These are the two most well known Haramim of Rabbi Yenu Gershon. Why did he make these decrees? Well, actually, there is a historical and social reason for these decrees of Rabbi Yenu Gershon. The church had a very negative view to marriage. The church considered celibacy the ideal way to live in Christian theology. Monogamous marriage was deemed a concession to the devil. Polygamy was considered downright immorality. Rabbeinu Gershon did not want the Jewish people to be considered immoral in the eyes of the nations of the world, and therefore he decreed you cannot marry two wives. But Rabbeinu Gershon was afraid if you can't marry two wives, then get in, there'll be more divorces. So Rabbeinu Gershon likewise decreed, he added another decree, you can't divorce your wife against her will. But friends, besides these social reasons for the Charame de Rabbeinu Gershon, there is a deep spiritual and mystical reason for the Chaim de Rabbeinu Gershon, which is offered by the Oistreibzer, Rav Meir Yechiel of Oistreibz, who lived from 1852 to 1928, of a brilliant mind, and a holy tzaddik, he spent the last 40 years of his life, Yoishev Batainus, he did not eat during the daytime. And he introduces a gem of an idea, but before I present his idea, I want to ask you an amazing question. The most anticipated and celebrated shidduch in the history of Kal Yisrael, Yaakov and Rachel. And Yaakov meets Rachel, and the Pasuk says, Vayishak Yaakov Rachel, Vayisas Koylei Vayev, Yaakov meets Rachel, and the first thing he does, he cries. Says Rashi, why is he crying? Ah, Lefishet Safa Baruach HaKodesh She'ena Nechneses Imai Lekfura. Because he saw that he wouldn't be buried with Rachel. Are you kidding me? I mean, talk about getting ahead of yourself. Rabbi Goldberger, did anybody ever call you at the Shidduch Center of Baltimore with the concern, I really like this girl, but I'm afraid that we can't get enough karka together on Harmanuchais? That would be a first. That's what Yaakov is crying about. I mean, first let them have a vart and a lechayim and let them celebrate the first anniversary and then they can worry about being buried together. This is what's on Yaakov of his mind the moment he meets Rachel, that they're not going to be buried together? What kind of reaction is that? So here's the idea. If you look in the holy book, Shir Hashirim, Megillah Shir Hashirim, Shlomo Melech composed a love song of the passionate and profound love between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael, depicted as the love between a chassan and a kala, a groom and a bride. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, of course, the chassan, the groom, and Knesset Yisrael is the bride. And this is a shidduch that we try to consummate every Shabbos. So Friday night is the Kedushan. And we say in Shemona Esrei, Ata Kidashta. Friday night is Kedushan. And Shabbos morning, of course, nowadays with these Takanas wedding, so you could invite 150 people, but 1,000 people to the Simchas Chasan Vekala. So Shabbos morning is Simchas Chasan Vekala, Yismach Moshe B'Matnas Chalkai. 
And then if you really love your wife, you give her a large ksuba, you add to her ksuba, toisefes ksuba, that's musaf. And then is yichud, the yichud room. Shabbos by mincha is yichud. Ata echad, v'shimcha echad, v'mika'amcha Yisrael gayechad v'aretz. Every Shabbos we consummate this shidduch between the Chasun HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Kala Knesset Yisrael. In fact, Rav Tzadok HaKoyen asks, you ever wonder, we make Kiddush Friday night, we make Kiddush Shabbos morning, why don't we make Kiddush by Shalashudas? The answer is, says Rav Tzadok, Friday night is Kedushin, there's a Kois of Erosin. Shabbos day is Nesuin, there's a Kois of Nesuin. Shabbos by Mincha is Yichud, there's no Kois by the Yichud room. So there's this idea, a well-established idea, that the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klal Yisrael is the relationship of a chastan and a kala. However, Rabbi Yisai, here's the bombshell. Not only is our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu depicted as a relationship of a chastan and a kala, but the relationship that a husband and wife have with each other reflects and affects the relationship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klal Yisrael. So, if a husband and wife live together, if the husband and wife live together in peace and harmony, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unified with Knesset Yisrael, and that Shidduch is consummated, and Hashem dwells securely among Klal Yisrael, and we are with Kut But when there's discord between husband and wife, when there's bickering, when there's fighting, then the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael is likewise tenuous. By the way, there's an amazing phenomenon. And this is also taught by Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Lublin in many places. We know in Shas, besides the halachic portions of the Gemara, we have Agadita, the Agadic portions of Shas. Agadita in Shas is approximately one-sixth of Shas. Reb Tzalek teaches a principle that the Agadita of Shas is not randomly dispersed in various Masechtos, but the Masechta that the Agadita is found in is fundamentally connected to that subject. So for instance, who remembers in which Masechta does it talk about Churban Beis Hamikdash? It's a Masechta Gitin because of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And the exile of the Jewish people is analogous to a get. And which Masechta discusses living in the land of Israel and Yishev Eretz Yisrael, Ksubis, because being with Hashem in Eretz Yisrael is the bond is analogous to the Ksuba between Knesset Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says the Oishtreifel, as the Golos was progressing and we were becoming more and more distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there was a real danger that the Yibam Shal may say to Knesset Yisrael, okay, we've had a nice run. It's been a nice marriage. The Yibam Shal might divorce us and chase us out and send us packing against our will. So Rabbeinu Gershon had an Einfall. He had a brilliant idea. He's going to force the hand of God never to be able to send us away. So if Rabbeinu Gershon went ahead and he made a takana that we cannot divorce a wife against her will, so now reflective of that, the Rebunisham can never send away the Jewish people. But we're not out of the woods yet. 
Because maybe now the Rebbe cannot send us away. But he could still take another nation on top of us. So the Rebbe will say, okay, Yidin, I'm stuck with you. But maybe I'll take another nation. You know those North Koreans, they're just adorable. Or, or the Iranians, they're, they're really swell. Maybe it will be Klal Yisrael and North Korea, or Klal Yisrael and the Iranians. So comes Rabbeinu Gershon and he saves the day again. And Rabbeinu Gershon was Masakein, that not only can you not divorce your wife against her will, but you cannot take an additional wife. Therefore, the Rebbe not only is he stuck with us, he's stuck only with us, says the Oishtreifzer. That is why Rabbeinu Gershom is called Me'or Hagoyla, the light of the exile, because he breathed and infused light into the darkness of the Golas. Because at the very least, no matter how long the Golas lasts, we know it's us and God together forever, for better or for worse. Now, the husband and wife live together in harmony. And not only do they live together in harmony, but they're buried together side by side. The kvura of the ish isha together. That reflects the immutable, unbreakable bond between husband and wife, and therefore between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klal Yisrael. So when Yaakov Avinu sees Rachel and he knows, is there any greater marriage of love than Yaakov and Rachel? Is there any better analogy to the love of HaKadosh Baruch to Klal Yisrael than Yaakov and Rachel? But then he sees he's not going to be buried with Rachel. Which means that the bond between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael, it's not immutable. It's not untouchable. Yaakov saw in the fact that he would not be buried with Rachel, there's going to be a Churban Beis Hamikdash one day. There's going to be, so to speak, some type of Gittin. Yaakov cried. Not because he wouldn't be buried with Rachel, because not being buried with Rachel means that the love of HaKadosh Baruch and Knesset, that relationship could be rocky one day. In fact, I wasn't going to mention this, but you're such a good audience. Does anybody remember in the beginning of Masech the Kedushin? Where is Kedushin learnt out from? It's learnt out from Sedei Ephraim. We learn out marriage from buying a burial plot. Seriously, what's the connection between Kedushin and the Sedei Ephraim? The answer is the ultimate bond of marriage is reflected in the eternal resting of husband and wife together, reflecting the immutable, immutable relationship between Knesset Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch. Now watch this. This is going to help us understand an, an enigmatic Gemara Masech Tafsachim. The Gemara tells us that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov each invented a word, a terminology, to refer to the Makar HaMikdash. Avraham says the Gemara Sachim refers to the Makam Amikdash as Har, a mountain. Yitzchak called it a Sadeh, a field. Shenemar, Vayetze, Yitzchak, Lasuach, Besadeh. Now, if I may digress for a moment, this is a lecture on behalf of the Shiloh Center of Baltimore. And I was thinking, and I even wanted to send the question to Rabkhaim Knievsky, I didn't have a chance. You know, there are a lot, we live in the age of schoolers. And if you look through the pages of Shas and Medrash, there are schoolers for come out everything. You want a schoola to be wealthy? 
the Gemara gives us different advice. Sefer Achinoch says, Berchus Tamazen with Kavanah. You want a school for children? Many schoolers found in Chazam. You want a school for Kaparas Avoinois? Also, many schoolers. As far as I know, there are no segulos that are found how to get a shidduch. But I believe there's one particular skula that could be identified based on Chazal, how to get a good shidduch. And at the shidduch center of Baltimore lecture, Tavshen Pe'alef, I would like to reveal that particular segula. Here it goes. The Gemara says in Masech Tabrachat Avavah Mavez Lo'olam Yehei Adam Zahir B'tfilas Ha Mincha Always be careful in Mincha She'eliyahu lo'inene Ela b'schuskas Mincha Elijah the Prophet was only answered in the merit of Mincha. The Kliyakar explains as follows. What's so special about Mincha? This is Avram Avinu Davin B'shachras. What was he praying for? That Hashem should save Sedoim. But what did God say? No. So we can't learn anything special about the efficacy of chakras because the answer was no. Yaakov Davin Marav, what was Yaakov Davining for? That Hashem should save him from Lavan and from Esav. Okay, he was answered, but we don't find an immediate response. But Vayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Vasada, Yitzchak went out to Davin in the field. What's he Davining for? Probably the Kliyakar says. Eliezer went to look for a Shidduch. So he's probably Davining for a Shidduch. So let's assume he was davening for a shidduch. And as soon as he da- finished davening, he lifted up his eyes because during tefillah the eyes are down. And the moment he finished, he lifted up his eyes, and whoa, the shidduch's coming. Talk about a quick response. He davened, and the moment mincha was over, the shidduch was on its way. Says the Kliyakar, that's how Chazal know how careful we have to be with Tfilas Mincha because we see in the Chumash the efficacy of Tfilas Mincha. Says Rabbi Fal Mamo in the Sefer Shavoy Achlama. yes, we see the efficacy of Mincha, but regarding what do we see the efficacy of Mincha? Regarding Zivugim. So he says, if somebody is in need of a Shidduch, or somebody knows somebody who needs a Shidduch, Although HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers, B'chol Esu, B'chol Shah, there's a particular koyach in Tfilas Mincha, and if somebody is mispalel Mincha B'Kavana, one can be hopeful that Be'ezra Hashem Yisbarach, as soon as the Tfilah is over, Ba'yisa Einav, Ve'hine Gemalim Ba'im Ve'rivka Yaitzis. Kein Yehiratzayim. I found another Sgula in the writings of the Ramami Pana one of the great Italian Mikubalim. He says, if before you take your three steps back of Shemana Esrei, you say, Perek Kuf Chaf Aleph of Tehillim. That's what he writes. He was a Rishon. Whenever you dive in Shemana Esrei, this tefillah is specifically potent in accessing Zivugim Menashamayim. He writes, Vahoimer Mizmar Zeh Bekavana Besayv Kal Tefillah Okay, back to the regularly scheduled uh, broadcast over here. We're talking about Avraham calls the Makam HaMikdash a Har, Yitzchak calls it a Sadeh, Yaakov calls it a Bayis. What does this mean? One more question. 
We know Moshe Rabbeinu davened many, many tefillahs to be able to enter Eretz Yisrael. How many tefillahs? 515 tefillahs. Where did he come up with this random number of 515 tefillahs? I mean, what he, he, he googled, how many tefillahs does it take to enter Eretz Yisrael? And the most common answer given was 515. And what is 515? Where did he get this number? 515. Yes, Vaz Hanan is Gematria 515. But what's the significance of 515? And then God said, Ravloch, don't you dare say one more. If you say 516, that's going to do it. As if 516 is some special number. So to, to explain this, I want to share with you an electrifying conversation that took place between two Gedoyle Oilam of two completely different walks of life. I don't know how they met and what the context of this meeting was, but this is recorded in many svarim. This was the great meeting of Rav Elchanan Vasserman, Hashem Yimkam Damai, and Rav Aaron of Bells, the Bells of Rav. How they met, why they met, that's beyond the scope of the Shidduch Center of Baltimore Lecture, Tav Shempeyam. But they met, and they were discussing who built the base Hamikdash Shamala, who built the temple up in Shemayim. And the Belzerebbe shared the following Zayhar. That the first wall of the Beis Hamikdash Shomalo was built by God and his Machaneh, God and his camp. And the second wall of the Beis Hamikdash Shomalo was built by Avraham. And the third wall was built by Yitzchak. And the fourth, fourth wall was built by Yaakov. And Moshe built the roof. Inexplicable. What does the Zayar Kadesh mean? And Rav Aaron of Bells explained as follows. Machana is numerically valued at 103. Mem, Ches, Nun, He. Mem and Ches is 48. Nun is another 50, 50 98. And He is 5, 103. God and his Machana built the first wall. So apparently, to build a wall of the Minkta Shomala, you need the force of 103. So how are you going to build the second wall? I guess you need 103 and 103. So Abraham comes along and he calls it Har. Har is 206. Har is 205. 206. He built the second wall. Well, how much is it going to take to build the third wall? So Isaac comes along, Yitzchak Avinu comes, and he calls it Sadeh. Sadeh is 309. And he connects the three walls. And he built the third wall. And what's it going to take to build the fourth wall? I guess 412. So Yaakov Avinu comes along and he calls it Bias. Bias is Gematria 412. So Moshe Rabbeinu realizes if he's going to connect these four walls and build a roof, it's going to take how many prayers? 515 prayers. Moshe Rabbeinu davened 515 tefillahs and he built the roof of the Beis Hamikdash Shomala. And you always wonder, you know, the, the Medrash says in Parshas Vazchanan, you know what the source is that if someone's in a jam and someone's in an Eis Tzara, they need to daven? What's the makar that you need to daven the Eis Tzara from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu davened to enter Eretz Yisrael, Shenemar v'Azchanan al Hashem v'Yisahi Leimar. Leimar says, L'doyrois, for all generations, one needs to daven the Eis Tzara. And I always wondered, 
you're going to learn out, you need to daven the Yitzhara from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't answered. God said, don't daven. No, God said, no. And stop davening. Why would you learn out that you should daven the Yitzhara from someone who wasn't listened to and God said, don't say another word. And the answer is every single tefillah of Moshe was answered. Yes, 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 yes. Moshe built the Beis Hamikdash Shamala. And he was going to say tefillah 516. And if he would have said tefillah 516, he would have brought down the Beis Hamikdash Shamala and he would have brought it down to this world. And God said, Rav Lach, you did enough already. You built the Beis Hamikdash Shamala. It's not yet time to build the Beis Hamikdash Shamala. But if anyone could ever figure out what that 516th tefillah is, you hit the jackpot. That's the winner. That's the tefillah that will bring Mashiach. Comes the Arizal. And the Arizal reveals what the 516th tefillah is. Yisgadel v'yisgadesh shemei rabah. Rashi Tevois yud vav shin resh. 516. That's the tefillah! We don't say it in Hebrew because that's the ultimate tefillah that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't allowed to say. And we don't say it explicitly and outright, but we're meramis to it. We say, God, let your name be magnified and glorified. That's the tefillah. That will bring the Beis HaMikdash down in Hashanah. So you got the system? I know the last thing on your mind to come out on a Sunday night is to hear some mathematical formula about base, building the base on Mikdash Shamala, but it's not too complicated. You got it? 103, one wall. 206, the second wall. 309, the third wall. 412, the fourth wall. 515, the roof. Here's where I put in my two cents. I think this base Hamikdash is still missing. I mean, if you had a home with four walls and a roof, that's very nice. Until weeds start growing in your living room. Don't you need a floor? Don't you need a floor? Don't you need a ritzpah? Who's going to build the floor of the Beis HaMikdash Shomala? Well, one thing we know, we know the mathematical formula. What number do we need to build the Beis HaMikdash Shomata? The floor, what? 618. Half of ish ve'isha. 618. Ish is 311. Isha is 306. The husband and wife, the love of the husband and wife, the shalom of the husband and wife, that will build the final missing ingredient of the Besamikta Shamala. Where does it say that? Toichai Ratsuf. Ahava, it says in Shashiyam. Toichai, the inside of the Mikdash. Rotsof, the Ritzpa, the floor. Ahava. What will build the Beis HaMikdash? Shiduchem. Is there any wonder then that in the aftermath of Tishabav, when we celebrate, when we commemorate Chorben Beis HaMikdash, what's the Tikkun? What's the rectification? How do we correct that? Well, a few days later, we have Tuba'ah, the day of Shiduchem. And the aftermath of Chorbin, the way we build the Beis HaMikdash, is Al Yidei Toichai Ratzuf Ahava. As the Ramban writes in the beginning of Parsha Shemais, that the tent of Abraham and Sarah was a greater 
vehicle of Hashras, Hashchina, even then than the Mishkan itself. That the Mishkan was only a microcosm, was only a Shemetz, a semblance of the Shechina that rested in the tent of Abraham and Sarah. Is there any wonder then that in the end of days, in Tavshin Pe'alef, there's a quote-unquote Shidduch crisis. Of course there's a Shidduch crisis. Because there's an ult- the ultimate Shidduch that's still waiting to be consummated. There is an ultimate Shidduch that we're still waiting for somebody to read and get them to get back together again. It's a Shidduch that began 3,300 years ago. It's a Shidduch that's worked on every Shabbos. It's a Shidduch that's had its ups and downs. And as long as that Shidduch is still hanging in the balance, then the reflective relationships will also be a challenge. Is there anything we can do to somehow consummate that ultimate Shidduch? Here's your chance to be a Ma'ar Hagoyla. Here's your chance to infuse light into the Golos. Because just like our relationships reflect the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and Knesset Yisrael, that means by being involved in making Shidduchim, by supporting an organization that is oisek to bring young couples l'chuppah, every Shidduch that is attempted, every Shidduch that is made, every Shidduch that is tried, is the most direct mitzvah and maisa that we could do to bring to fruition the ultimate shidduch, and build the ultimate bias and make the ultimate bias be Israel, which is the base Hamikdash. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. In the merit of us coming together tonight to try to help our young men and women, our middle-aged men and women, to try to build Batei Neman be Israel. May it be a zuchus to build the ultimate bias be Yisrael, may we all be zoicha to hear very soon. Mehera Yishama Ba'are Yehuda Uvachutzais Yushalayim Kal Sasain, Kal Simcha, Kal Chasan, Kal Kala. We should be zoicha for Yushalayim to be Misameach, Bevaneha, Beviaska El Sedek, and Hera Viamenu. Amen.